Um, hello and welcome to another Formula One Grass Half Empty podcast. Um, with me again are two of the regular boys, uh, Jamie and Daniel. Um, welcome in, lads. And joining us for a debut from Sector One podcast is Devin. So Devin, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me. It's good to be on a, on a new podcast for once. It's exciting. <laughs> um, yeah, so lads, when we spoke before, we did our track rankings and stuff, and that was a lot of fun. And it's it just so happens that they put all the crap tracks at the start of the year. Um, so we've got we've got three of our bottom five coming up. Um, the, what I want to talk about is the season in general, right? So the first few races we've had three now. Um, it's been the same top two for all three. Um, so we've had Hamilton's one two, Verstappen's one one. Um, and I want to do this in like a Netflix style, not chronological order, but like follow a team through the three weeks so that makes sense so mm-hmm. we're, the way we're going to talk about this we're going to talk about the, the top teams the top two so you talk about the mercedes for the red bull battle then the ferrari mclaren battle and then the mid to low tier teams and then no one really cares about the williams and Haas. um so oh, come on that's a that's a shame <laughs> we'll give we'll give them we'll give them a, a a minute special later on jimmy you can talk about them um so <laughs> we'll so we'll start with the top and as a as a rookie, Devin, I'm gonna chuck at the deep end. Um, what have you what have you made of uh, this the this so-called battle that's been spiced up for a while? The Hamilton Hamilton versus Verstappen, the uh, the guy who's dominated the sport, the young guy on the block, um, Red Bull Mercedes battle, is it living up to what you expected? Um, and how do you see it panning out? I think it's definitely a lot closer. I mean, yes, we still have Hamilton or this, I guess a similar sort of drivers on the podium thus far. Um, but time-wise, we aren't seeing Hamilton finish 20 seconds ahead of the pack um, or Red Bull specifically. So I think from that side of it, it is a lot closer. Um, another thing, I don't know if this is just me, but after races, Hamilton does seem to be a lot more kind of amped up about things and I don't know whether it's because it is more of a battle for him and he's you know repeatedly saying how much he's loving this battle so maybe that is kind of testament to how how close it is this year um I think Red Bull especially have taken a step in you know we've seen in the past that it takes them a while to kind of catch up but I think this year differently from you know previous years they already seem like they're off to a good start from the get-go as opposed to constantly being a little bit behind Mercedes so in terms of who's ahead at the moment I really can't tell um I feel like tracks obviously play a big role in in how well they're doing at the moment so yeah give it a few races and seeing what upgrades people bring um but no I can see it being a lot more a lot closer and having an actual fight fingers crossed yeah well that's an interesting thing you just mentioned because jamie i'll go to you with this um look for the past six seven years lewis has dominated the sport there's no question about that um and i've never really seen him look like not in control if that makes sense like it's always been um like he knows he knows he's he knows he's gonna win like he he knows he's battling rosberg he knows he's better than rosberg he knows he's battling bottas he knows he's better than him and Vettel kind of, even when he was fighting the Ferrari and Vettel, I think he inside knew the Mercedes was better than the Ferrari and he knew that he was better than Vettel. 
um, whether that's true or not is up for debate. But um, what I feel, do you think this season is the first time I've seen Lewis make mistakes? As in, so one was small, one was slightly bigger, but I genuinely cannot think of any mistake he made apart from the starts in 2016. Like, I genuinely couldn't think of what, what his time at Mercedes. Is that just just a mistake is a mistake, right? It happens, or is that a max factor in the fact that he, he thinks there's a serious challenger here for once? Red Bull are quick, and this kid is quick, and I need to be pushing it to the limit to, to match him, if that makes sense. Um. I don't know. Like you guys might feel slightly differently, but I, 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 I personally don't get the impression that he feels flustered or necessarily, you know, under more pressure than before. I think, you know, he obviously made that mistake in Imola um, at, at the hairpin, which is, you know, very unlike him. Um, you know, make that mistake. He's made the odd mistake here and there in qualifying, but so has Verstappen as well. Um, I I don't get the feeling from watching him that he no that, that that he somehow feels more threatened. I mean, maybe you guys will disagree. I think he's absolutely relishing the battle, um, and I don't think we've seen the best of Red Bull yet. I, I think he, he's probably quite relieved. I think after preseason testing because they did look, you know, second best quite comfortably, um, and then got to round one and two and sort of like okay they've pulled it back a little bit um, I, you know Portimao it was definitely um, you know Red Bull came out and said this was one of their weakest tracks of the year and they certainly gave it a good go so if, if that's their you know uh, biggest weakness or one of their biggest you know weakest tracks I think we're in for an absolute stonker to be honest but no I don't think Hamilton's under any more pressure or anything like that that's okay. my view that's my view yeah yeah so Daniel I'll go to you on this like obviously what, what I where I was coming from is do you think when you're in a race with when you're fighting for a title with your teammate you know the ins and outs of their driving style you know everything about them their pace where they're quick where they're not and you know the team strategy isn't a part of it at all because Mercedes always give the lead driver, basically both drivers have the same strategy. So it's never going to be a case you're going to get done on strategy. It's just out there on pace. And Hamilton has always been like, I'm quicker than these guys. Um, whereas with this, Red Bull, different team, Max is quick. And he's shown he's quick last year. I think Hamilton got a little bit of a wake-up call last year when Max was keeping up with, he had no right to keep up with the Mercedes, but he was keeping up with them at times. Um I'm not saying he's like crying in his sleep thinking of Max Verstappen at all. I know that he's he's a seven-time world champion. He's loving the battle. But do you think there's an element that he's he knows he's got to push and be at his very best to, I, to win this? Yeah. Um, I get the opposite impression. I think Lewis is, is quite calm. I think he's in control. I mean, yeah, you say he made one mistake in Imola, but to be honest, it was the conditions. He was offline. Um, Max is the driver who arguably should have won all three races if it wasn't for exceeding the track limits once in Bahrain and then in qualifying in Portimao, where he could have put it on pole. So I think Lewis has been here before. He knows he has mm -hmm. the consistency over a season. You're not going to get many mistakes out of him. Max is the kind of guy who is, even though he's been around for five or six years, he's still a bit rough around the edges. And he's never been in a sustained championship fight before. So I think Lewis knows if he keeps up the pressure, Max is still going to make a few more mistakes before the end of the season. And I think Lewis has shown he's going to be there. I mean, he was a lap down in Imola. Granted, there was the 
the red I mean, flag. Don't get me started <laughs> on that bullshit. Um, but, you know, like like the psychological blow that would deal someone like Verstappen being a lap ahead at one point and then having it clawed back to Lewis finishing just behind him. Um, if I was Max, I would be disappointed to be behind in the championship because definitely on pace in the first two races, they should be ahead. And now that Mercedes are beginning to bring upgrades to the car, this could be, I, I think the points he's lost in the opening few races could come back to bite him later on in the year. Mm-hmm. Well, Devin, do you think the Mercedes, like, I want you to make me feel better about this Mercedes pace from the last last race, because well, I've really enjoyed the fact that Red Bull and Mercedes have been neck and neck, but at Portimao, I know you've said that was one of their weaker tracks, Jamie. Um, it just seemed like the straight line speed of the Mercedes, it was like flashbacks to the old Mercedes for me. It was like, he just drove past Verstappen. Like, it wasn't even a fight. It was whether the Red Bull era was set up to get more drag, and that's why the Honda engine wasn't... The Honda engine's fine. It was just the aero setup, or the Mercedes engine's just superior. Um, could you... Is what I'm asking you, Devin. Do you think this is the start of Mercedes doing with it to Ferrari in 2017, 2018, 2019, where they gave them a little sniff, and then they just ran away with it? I think it's really difficult to tell. I think then when we look back at testing and seeing that Mercedes were slightly on the back foot and not just in terms of pace like they had sort of reliability problems and issues that they don't commonly have like when we think of sandbagging it's all about kind of pace and they're just lacking a little bit or the engines turned down or whatever but they seem to encounter problems that looked legitimate um but yeah I don't know it's I think also with Max that for the whole time he's been in the sport, Lewis is or Mercedes at least have been so much, so much more dominant than the rest of the teams that any time that Max could kind of get close, he realizes that he's got to give it a shot because, you know, if it going track to track, if they know that they've got even the slightest bit more advantage over Mercedes, they've got to go for that. Whereas this year, if, Max has got to think of, I don't know, the long game or the driver's championship or whatever. If he's not quite got the polish that Lewis has and he's not really, he's wasting these opportunities, I think that's what it's going to come down to. And in terms of like car performance, I'll be openly honest, it's not my kind of strong suit. Um, But yeah, I just, I think for me, it's too early to tell when with those Mm. sort of things. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I mean, I think you've been a little bit harsh trying to say like Max has like chucked it essentially, um, <laughs> considering the fact that he's he's literally at yeah, one track limits when Lewis was literally driving around there the whole race um, and in Bahrain. And I think he did, re- to be honest, I think Max did really well to get second in Portimao because I think that should have been a, a slammed on Mercedes 1 2. Even if Max was on pole, Mercedes should have been 1 2 that race. Um, the straight line speed advantage they had, um, and just the car worked so much better on the the medium tires and on the hards on that Mercedes compared to the Red Bull. I mean, if 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 uh, Valtteri didn't have that issue with his engine setting, um, I think he would have taken Max because he was hunting him down. Like it wasn't even a case of a couple of tenths here or there. He was hunting him down. Um, so I think, and the thing with Portimao, the only place you could overtake is the straight, and the Red Bull couldn't depend on the straight. I mean, Max was in the DRS zone for Valtteri for ages and couldn't get anywhere near him, whereas 
Lewis got in there once and he just drove past Max. Um, so I think he did well to get second. I agree with you on the mistake in Bahrain. He could, probably could have made us could have made a stick a bit better. Um, and I mean, Emila is just pure luck for Lewis. Like it's oh, it's it's. Jamie, I mean, no, I, don't I, play, I don't want to play the conspiracy <laughs> card, but it sounds like a Toto's giving a little call to George. Like, George, we need you to chuck Bottas in the bin here, mate. We need we need a little red flag. Um, <laughs> You're so salty, man. <laughs> no, I know, I, was, I, I am. Um, no, but you know what I mean? Like, it, that wasn't really, that wasn't really, like, him chucking. That was just a freak of nature. That happens in F1 every now and then, right? You get red flag luck, you get safety car luck, and it happens. Lewis drove brilliantly to go from ninth to second. Um but he was helped a lot on the way. Um, I just think it's a fascinating, fascinating championship. If it stays close, car performance, these two are the best two in the grid for me. And I would love to finally get a battle that's not like the Sebastian-Hamilton battle where they never actually overtook each other. They were just kind of, one was ahead of the other and that was it. Um, whereas this one, they've already overtaken each other like three times in three races. So it's it's great. Um, one quick thing to you, Jamie. Uh, a little little Valtteri Bottas for you, a number two drivers for you. Um, what have you made of Valtteri this season to start with? Um, so obviously, for me personally, I think I, I think you can see the difference between elite drivers and the best of the rest kind of thing, and that's why I put Valtteri as. Um, what 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 have you made of it? I said a bit of a shocker to be honest. Um, <laughs> I, I was hoping. Nice. <laughs> I, I, I was hoping for uh, Valtteri 29.0 um, coming into this season, and it's not happened. I, I just, yeah, it's just I, not to be too harsh. I, I just feel like it's a wasted seat now. Like you know, I, I, I thought he was. To be honest, I thought he was kind of better than he's shown like the last few years. Just. Just, just not had a great race. He had an absolute shocker in Imola. He just had zero pace. I mean, he was he was comprehensively outpaced by Lando Norris, for example. He was, he was, um, he was outpaced by Russell and Williams. Like that's I, how they, they were crashed. <laughs> yeah, just yeah. Um, no, well, I, we can talk about Perez as well. But I've been a bit disappointed with Perez too. Like you know, I, I, for me, one of the kind of true kind of um, interesting factors about this uh, year was going to be, you know, the number twos and how much of a role they're going to play. But they haven't really influenced it that much, to be honest. It's just been Hamilton versus Verstappen, mm-hmm. um, and I just. Um, I really want to see George Russell in that seat next year. Uh, I think I think Bottas has had his his time. I mean, he's had what this is his 17, 18, 19, 25th season with um, with, with with Mercedes. I think it's time. This is his last year, surely. What do you think? Um, yeah, I mean, Daniel, do you think uh, the the Portimao race highlighted for me what the issue with Bottas is? So you see, the drivers like Verstappen and Hamilton, the elite guys, um, they they just you give them a sniff and they'll take the opportunity. That's how I describe it. And uh, Hamilton got a little run on Max and he took his opportunity. Uh, Verstappen caught Hamilton napping on the restart, took his opportunity. Um, and he took mm. Bottas again on cold tires, took his opportunity to overtake him. Like quite a nice move. I feel like Valtteri is one of those ones where he needs like a second advantage to overtake someone. Like he's never going to overtake someone that's, you know, where he's going <laughs> to set someone up or he's going to, take us like a slight gap or something he's just gonna wait 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 and then then make a move if 
it's like wide open, if that makes sense. Whereas these guys, 20% chance of an overtake, Hamilton, Verstappen are going for it, and they're probably going to make it stick. Um, I mean, you go back to Monza, for instance, last year, where who was he stuck behind for 60 laps, I think? Um, uh, Bottas was stuck in eighth or seventh. Lewis managed to do his penalty, come out 30 seconds behind and finish right behind him after mm-hmm. overtaking like six people. And like that's like that's the difference, isn't it? Um, what's what's your take on that? He has these two or three races a year where he's absolutely undrivable. Usually Russia or at the start of the season, where he'll stick it on pole, he will dominate all weekend, and then he'll come over the radio and he'll do his to whom it may concern, fuck you moments. And he's he's never really shown any evidence that he can keep this up for a sustained period of time um i will admit when i saw he got pulled this weekend when i saw he was leading after the first few laps i thought he was going to drive off into the distance and it just didn't happen for him and yeah like jamie was saying i think it's i i I get why he's still in the team um toto likes him he's a known quantity he has done enough over the last few years. I think the danger for him is Perez finding his seat and beginning to nail together a few consecutive podiums. I mean, we saw in Imola when he put it on the front row, he can have the pace. I think it's just about Perez feeling comfortable in the car over a race distance. And I think that's, I mean, I think Valtteri has probably done the season anyway purely because what do you do with George Russell? You can't send him back to Williams for a fourth year. You can't really send him to anywhere else on the grid. You don't want to lose him because it's very clear he's Mercedes see him as the future. So I think the only thing they can do is promote him to Mercedes. So either Bottas stays, Hamilton takes a year off, which I don't think is going to happen. Or you have a Hamilton-Russell team and Bottas is out in the wilderness somewhere him and Grosjean doing some like online stuff (laughs) don't be be dissing Roman Grosjean (laughs) yeah sorry sorry. I mean okay fair enough but he's still (laughs) the biggest meme going even before that Um, Devin just quickly on the top guys um, one of the reasons I personally think that they've not had the Russell Hamilton because they just didn't want the Hamilton Rosberg 2.0 they didn't want two guys that could be fighting each other. Bottas is a nice number two. He does the job. He'll never get in Hamilton's way, really. Um, and the team harmony is there. Do you think that is... Do you think that Toto will keep that in mind going into next year? That if I keep Lewis happy, everything's fine. I don't care if the next driver's average. Or do you think he'll go, okay, now's the time. We'll deal with whatever happens. Lewis has only got a couple of years left, maybe, in him. So... Yeah, I think it all depends on what Lewis does next year. Um, as you say, we've seen, I mean, God, even in a Williams, we've seen Russell up there. I mean, against Bottas, that was something that if you told me that last year, I would never have believed you um, for Bottas to be underperforming that much and also for Russell to be out driving the car uh, that much. Um, but yeah, I think it all depends on what Hamilton does. I really was convinced that, say he takes the eighth this year I could see him leaving after that but from what I mean I know it also just rumors and stuff but from what people are saying and what you know Sky Sports are saying 
it sounds like he's interested in staying around for a few years and I don't think he would do a do an Alonso and go back down to you know a team that needs a bit more help I just can't see him doing that um so yeah I think it all depends on what Hamilton's doing and I think I get the feeling that Russell's getting a little impatient I think you know he says all this that he has full faith in Mercedes and full trust in Toto and I think you know he's not going to be one that it's not going to be an Ocon where he kind of just gets forget forgetting about I think he is definitely going to be in that seat at some point it's just what they decide to do in that dynamic and whilst Bottas is around I I do feel bad for Bottas um I think his from the outlook being Lewis's teammate anything that he kind of does or doesn't do is never going to live up to that if he doesn't beat Lewis and he's lost um so I think yeah if they decide to shake it up or not I really don't know I was as I said I was pretty set that I thought Lewis would be leaving at the end mm-hmm. of this year but now I really don't know yeah well that's I mean I thought that I, I mean I know I spoke to Daniel about it I just think that I think once Lewis has broken the final record that's left, I think that's the last one left, right? I think it's just breaking Schumacher's all-time world titles while he's broken everything else. Um, and the only one, other one he can't beat is like the youngest race winner. That ship sailed. Um, so uh, he's got nothing else to play for, right? He's, he's like he's he's done it all. Um, but then, I mean, Daniel, your point was why leave? Like you're at the top of the sport, you're dominating. Why not make it even harder for anyone to get anywhere near your records? Um, so yeah, it's interesting and. Look, I'd love the point you made on Bottas. You're competing with one of the top five, six, seven drivers of all time. It's not going to be easy. Um, and anything you do is going to look badly. Um, but there's levels to that. When you're getting outdone by a Williams, uh, questions have been raised. It's like Julian Palmer and Renault all over again. Um, maybe not quite that level. Um, but just quickly, around the room, early predictions. Max or Hamilton title championship? Jamie. Hamilton. Daniel. Hamilton. Devin. Hamilton. I will stick with Max because I supported him <laughs> in 2018 in Austria and I saw him win. I'm going to support Max. But um, definitely a lot closer. It's not It's yeah. not going to be a we're going to decide it in the middle of the season yeah. sort of thing. Fingers crossed. Next one quickly. Constructors, Jamie. Red Bull or Mercedes? Um, oh, no, Mercedes. Daniel. I'm going to go Mercedes, but Perez to beat Bottas. Yeah, I agree with that. I think it will come down to the second drivers a lot more than it has done in the past. So, yeah, I think Perez and Bottas will be an interesting one to. You guys are all so dull. Mercedes. Right, let's move on. <laughs> let's move on to the next. Yeah, let's move on to the next year. I'm done with this now. Um, no, I agree. I do agree. I think Hamilton's going to win his eighth. To be honest, let's be real. I think he's he's done it for so long, and I think Mercedes just have the experience to develop the car. Whatever issues they've got, I think they'll. I've got a really bad feeling they're going to just dominate after the winter break, the this the summer break. I think they're just going to just. Yeah. No, nah, I don't think so. I think so. I've got a feeling, mate. Again, I've just got a wee feeling. Maybe it's just a scar from just, six yeah. years of watching the series. <laughs> You're just um, protecting yourself. <laughs> um, move on to the next little battle, right? So uh, we're going to try and fire through these a bit quicker. Like The McLaren-Ferrari battle's come out, and it's been quite an interesting one um, because 
I mean, I was a little critical in our last podcast where I was like, I think Lando needs to show a bit more, you know, like he's, he got done by Carlos Sainz and obviously he listens to our podcast because he's come out and he's been unbelievable um, this season. Um, yeah, so Daniel, your take on just in general, McLaren versus Ferrari, Danny Rick maybe not settling just yet and just Lando's blistering pace. Yeah, um, I mean, Lando probably has to be up there as the driver of the season, right? He's, I mean, to be in the top five in all three races, to have one podium with a car that isn't one of the three fastest, uh, two fastest. In Imola, I thought he was outstanding. He, I, this was always going to be a big year for Lando because it's his team now. And Daniel Ricciardo is the outsider who's coming in. He's an established racer, seven times winner, highly regarded. And this was going to be a real test for Lando's character. And is he going to be a top driver? Or is he going to be in that bracket, kind of behind the the Max, Lewis, Leclerc category? And The Bottas category. The Bottas, yeah, the Bottas. Can he say... Pure Valtteri, pure Valtteri. (laughs) (laughs) You've got to give credit to the guy somewhere. (laughs) That's him. Yeah. Um, Um, But... Yeah, Ferrari have also made bigger steps forward this season than I expected them to. I mean, they ended last year with the sixth, arguably the seventh quickest car, when you look at the AlphaTauri as well. And for them, I, I almost get the feeling that they're surprised as well with how well they're doing. Mm-hmm. So I think it's going to be a good battle throughout the season. I mean, they should have more points than they do because... They really messed up with signs of strategy at the weekend. Um, Ricardo, I think he will get there. So I do think over the whole season, it's going to be McLaren edging it over Ferrari. But it's great to see those two racing each other. Absolutely fantastic. Yeah, I mean, we'd like to see them race for the top spot, but I'll take third. On the, <laughs> I'll take third in the construction for now. Uh, Devin, you told me before, Danny Rick is your boy. So tell me why he is getting hammered by Lando right now. <laughs> oh it breaks my heart honestly I had such high hopes but I just I think he's he is definitely going to get there he's shown before that he is quite an adaptable driver um, but I think it more for me is the step that Lando's taken recently and I forget how long he's kind of been involved with the team and when you think he's been you know even just like as a development driver or up through um the junior program, if you want to call it that, um, he's really embedded himself well. And to see him taking that step up as more of a lead driver now, I think that's kind of given him the wind under his sails a little bit. And then for for him to have the three opening races that he has had can only be a confidence boost. So I think it, I think Lando's progress maybe has hindered or the perception of Daniel a bit more. Um but yeah, no, it, as I said, it breaks my heart not to see him straight off the bat being up to the pace. And I do think that Carlos has kind of done that a bit better than than Daniel yeah. has, but he'll definitely get there. Yeah, I mean, Carlos signs to the Jamie as an ex-Ferrari fan, now the Seb's moved on. Um, what what have you made of the whole, uh, what do you make of the whole Carlos Sainz move to Ferrari, him and Leclerc in general to pair? And do you think he's adapted a bit better to the car than, say, Daniel has at McLaren? Yeah, a wee bit. Um, yeah, I, I found myself sort of 
I didn't think this would happen, but I sort of found myself rooting for Carlos Sainz. Like I didn't. It's not like I'd go into the races and oh, let's see how Carlos Sainz is getting on. But I found myself sort of keeping an eye on him a little bit more than I thought I would. Um, I think he's done okay. Um, you know, he's gone up against Leclerc, who I mean is a beast. Let's let's be honest. Um, and I think he, I think he had, he had a, a better weekend in Portimao despite the result. I, you know what Daniel said, the strategy didn't really work out. So I think he's doing o- okay. I think Daniel Ricardo's just taken. Yeah, a bit of time, and I tend to agree with what everything that Devin said there about the fact that Norris has improved, and that sort of made it seem like you know Ricardo's wee bit further behind. But um, I'm just amazed that one of my preseason predictions has actually came to fruition. So I said, if we go back to pod- <laughs> podcast number one, I said that Ferrari would make a significant leap forward and would be really close between McLaren and Ferrari, and I also said that I thought Norris was you know he's good enough to be classified in that, yeah in that yeah. kind of tier two level of driver so for the first time ever i've actually said something <laughs> that's correct um no it's good i mean it's really good to see mclaren and ferrari battle out on track i mean those i mean those four drivers i mean they're all you know maybe Leclerc is that kind of maybe he's that kind of upper echelon along with hamilton and verstappen but those four together are just Yes, it's a really exciting prospect, and it'll be interesting to see how they get on um, throughout, you know, throughout the year, and who decides to sort of stop focusing on developing this year's car and focusing on next year's car. You know, what point do they take it to? So, and um, I think Ferrari will win over the season. Making that prediction right now. <laughs> Jimmy's hot. He's on, he's on a roll here. Um, <laughs> no, I'm going to say though, like uh, I think we said this in the previous podcast, and we said who, what, <clears throat> in respect of the cars, like what team have the best two drivers? And I think our general consensus was McLaren and Ferrari, and it's kind of coming through. Where I think as as a as four drivers, they're really I would say they're top tier. Well, I'd say top two tiers, and they're very consistent usually um so it should it shouldn't be a case that once letting the team down kind of thing i think once daniel gets going carl Sainz gets comfortable this could be a really really good battle for third um also i've got to ask how many of you how many of us dare to dream when lando went purple purple in imola oh my god i was i was genuinely just like i was watching like no he's not gonna do this and it was a heartbreak (laughs) it was a heartbreak that he had to go off track um yeah i agree i think I love McLaren's my favorite team, Landon Norris. I, he was, everyone loved him for his off-track stuff, but this year I'm loving him for his on-track moves. Like, oh, the one he pulled off last weekend at Portimao was uh, on the first lap, just went around mm. turn four or five on the on the inside. Incredible. Um, so yeah, love it. We're gonna move on to we're getting to the the kind of meh things now, um, but this is an interesting one because me and Jamie had a little bet on it to start the race, uh, start the season. We're going to talk Alpine. We're going to talk Aston Martin. Um, and Jamie, it was my boy Alonso, your boy Vettel. And we said, um, "Who?" I think we asked the question, "Who would? Who is? Who would? Who's more likely to win a race?" I think none of them are going to win a race. But um, what? Uh, what have you made of one Aston Martin and Alpine in general, and the two guys, the old guys, going there, ex Ferrari? guys so i think alpine are probably where i expected them to be so i'm not overly surprised at where they are um ocon's done pretty well 
um, you know, showed pretty good pace. You had in fact you had an excellent race in Portimao there. Um, as expected, Alonso was taking a wee bit of time, although he, sh- he showed unbelievable pace in the final stint of that race on those hard tyres. Aston Martin's a massive disappointment for me. Like I, I just, you know, off the back of last season, I just felt they would be a lot closer to the likes of Ferrari and McLaren. In fact, I thought they would be right there with those guys, but they're just not at all. They're kind of a lot further down. So, um, yeah, just a, a little bit disappointing. Um, Stroll's done okay. I mean, he had a he had a shocker in Portimao, to be fair, but he did pretty well the first two races. Um, Seb was racing okay in Bahrain until he rammed into the back of Ocon, and I was um, quite sad after that, actually, because <laughs> he was racing so well, you know, I mean, needlessly. To, I mean, he was defending and attacking um, for every, you know, for every place, which was quite good to see, I suppose. But then with Seb, and there's always this, uh, there's this fear that he's going to do something. I mean, yeah. that, because of the last couple of years, and unfortunately, when it when, when it cut to Ocon and Vettel, had, you know, clearly yeah. you, you worked out that had there'd been an accident. I thought, oh no, here we go again. I'm going to get <laughs> I'm going to get absolutely rinsed in the next podcast. Um, but but um, there's there um the race pace like Aston Martin's race pace has been really poor. Um. You know, they just seem to go backwards most of the time during the races. Um, and um, they seem they, they, they keep moaning about the, the full low rake thing. And it's just a bit embarrassing now, um, yeah. to be honest. It's like, just I mean, move on. They copied Mercedes, right? <laughs> <laughs> the regulation um, was to try and slow Mercedes down. Yeah. Just because you copy their car, you got screwed as well. Yeah, copy uh, them better next time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we'll, we'll see. I mean, it's still very, very early. And we'll see how it goes the next few races. Um yeah. So, there you I go. Mean, Daniel, you uh, you were very critical of Alonso. Um, and you kept in our WhatsApp chat going, Ocon is spanking Alonso and stuff like this. Um, it was very hurtful to me. But um, what um, what I wanted to say was, do you think, kind of, Jamie's kind of hit on it, I think these guys going in, the, the vets, basically, um, as the season goes on, you'll, you'll, you'll see the experience come through, especially in cars that are not that great. I know Ocon's been... Ocon's been quick in flashes. I don't think he's been that good. He's been, he's put it, he's had a couple of really good qualifying. I think it was, um, was it in Imola? He put it into Q3. Um, and Alonso went out, I think, in Q2. Um, but in Bahrain, Alonso smashed him um, in qualifying. And I think that last stint in Portimao was unbelievable from Alonso. The fact that he was lapping two tenths lower than the leaders in Alpine on like hards, that's nuts. Like absolutely ridiculous. Um, so yeah, I'll I'll give you the opportunity now to apologise to Fernando as well. I'm saying. <laughs> um, I think I mean Ocon had an incredible qualifying in Portimao. I think he was about seven tenths mm. of a second behind Sainz in fifth. So I think he's really raised his game this season because he suffered a lot against Ricardo last year. I think the year out. I mean, if you go back to 2017, 2018, he was kind of the hot prospect, right? He was alongside. Perez in the the racing point. Well, he was going to take over, wasn't he? He was like yeah, he was the next Mercedes guy. Yeah, uh, George kind of put him in his place there, I think. <laughs> um, and yeah, his first year back was underwhelming. It's it's been great to see him up against Alonso, kind of with no expectations at all. Nobody expected him to beat Alonso, so I've been quietly rooting for him in the background. I think it's been been it's good. Not to been see quiet, him. mate. <laughs> 
and his race pace has been good as well. Uh, Aston Martin, yeah, they're a bit of a conundrum, right? Because back in the Force India days, they were pound for pound the best team in the grid. They had the smallest budget. They were consistently finishing fourth place. They were, if any of the top three faltered, they were the team that were picking up the podiums. Well, Perez, not so much. Talkenberg. Um, <laughs> oh, <laughs> dagger to the heart. Yeah, that horrible that. Um, and now you know they've they've got this influx of cash. They've got their swanky new motorhome. They've got their four times world champion and. They're getting knocked out in Q3 most of the races this season. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's been a shame watching Seb because a lot of people, to, myself included, kind of towards the middle of last year, felt that he was on his way out. He'd lost the drive, he wasn't as motivated. And there's been very little in his showing in the first three races that make you think he's the same guy that was absolutely dominating with Red Bull at the start of the decade. Yeah. So. I mean, Devin, do you think, Daniel's kind of hit on it there, do you think this could be the last year that we see Sebastian in F1? Do you think he's kind of, he's, he's, he's done after this? Or do you think he's going to maybe see what the new regs bring? Maybe Aston Martin will be right at the top again, or they might just be midfield again. Um, and for both these old guys just your take in general Alonso and Seb what what they've done this season and what you think they'll do I hope it's not the last of Seb because it'd be a real shame to lose him from the sport um yeah I think I think particularly Alonso his return and then with the new regs I feel like he maybe thinks he's got a bit of a chance um you know, we've seen him in the past so vocal about, you know, I mean, McLaren particularly, this lack of performance and, you know, mad team radios here and there. Um, but I think he seems to just recognise that this year isn't going to be a massively competitive year for him or for Alpine as a team. Um, so I, I hope they both stay on till next year because I feel like the regs will hopefully change up the grid a bit more and give them both the opportunity to show that it's not they've still got something left to show I mean they've got obviously they've got nothing to prove they've both been you know majorly successful but to prove that they've still got it in that sense I think is something that maybe the new regs could do um for me Alpine have been a little under the radar and then Aston Martin's been on my radar, but for the wrong reasons. I don't think they've <laughs> had an awful lot to show for this, you know, massive rebranding and cash injection. Um, so I think on that side of things, Alpine's maybe done a bit better in the. I mean, they've not. I know they were wasn't a massive rebrand, but yeah, just nothing stands out as yet for the right reasons for either of the teams. Yeah, I think one of the issues with these teams as well, down lower end, I think Haas have already pulled the plug, haven't they, for this year, for instance. Um, a lot of them are going to just, this is just a year that they just want to get through, right? They don't really care that much. And I think that might not help the likes of Sebastian and Fernando, for instance, looking for performance where 
I think Alpine and Aston are probably going to think, you know what, we're not going to get third in the championship. We're not going to get fourth. Is it really worth fighting for fifth or developing the car for next year to try and get to the top three, uh, for instance? Um, so I, as we talk about the other guys at the top end, we think, oh, Red Bull, Mercedes, is going to be this developmental war all the way up, even Ferrari and McLaren to an extent. I think after that, I think all the other teams are just going to give up on the season, like even four, five, six races in, which is kind of depressing, but it's just how I see it. Um, I just want to quickly touch on the bottom cars because there was a lot of uproar when I said I didn't, I wouldn't do it. Um, so they're going to get, they're going to get a minute on each team, and I'm going to go just round the room just to get through it. So, um, Devin, you get the best of the rest. So you get AlphaTauri. You've got one minute. Just whatever. What, what have you seen from AlphaTauri in the in the first few races, and what have you made of them? I think they came out the blocks good, pretty quick. Sonoda made quite the impression. They've kind of maybe teetered off a little bit, especially Yuki. I didn't expect Yuki to be so quick to start with, and that kind of excited me. I don't know. Um, but I think he's now being a little too aggressive at times and making these rookie errors, which, I mean, is to be expected. But I think he set the bar a little bit too high for himself. I don't know. Um, but no, as a, as a as a whole, I think they've definitely got the potential and the pace in the car um, to be battling towards the top of the midfield. Um, yeah. Yeah, fair enough. I love that. So, nice. So. <laughs> the disrespect to Alpha Tori to be grouping them in the bottom category. <laughs> Sorry, I, 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 we just hadn't mentioned them. That's why I gave it to them. <laughs> well, Daniel, uh, uh, for that cheek, you get the worst team later on, so I'm not talking to you. Jamie, you get, you get... Actually, what is the worst team? I'll give Jamie Williams. You can have Mazepin, Daniel. Jamie Williams, what have you seen of them? Uh, just, yeah, one minute, on you go. Better, well, better than last season, um, although that probably uh, wouldn't have been particularly difficult. But they have made... They seem to have made some strides forward, which is good. Latifi looks to be a little bit closer to Russell this season, which is good to see. Um, you, you mean... George obviously pulled out that worldly performance in um, in Imola, apart from the crash, but that's a story for another day. Um, yeah, they seem to be doing okay. I mean, they, they, they dropped the race pace in Portimao was shockingly bad. I don't know what happened. They ended up so far behind and they looked, you know, to be kind of pushing, you know, up there with Alfa Romeo at the start and stuff, but they just didn't really, it didn't really happen. So... Yeah, not not much else to say really. To be honest, that's, yeah, that's not, a bit. Yeah. I mean, I'll take Cyber. Uh, is that what Cyber? Sorry, sorry, sorry. Apologies, apologies. I will take Alpha Romeo. Um, um, sorry, just the yeah, old old heads, you know. I just still remember Kobayashi in that Cyber. Anyway, uh, we've got yeah, Alpha Romeo. I think they've been pretty quietly solid. Uh, I think they've had. I think Giovinazzi's finally showing the hype slight hype i think he's under the radar i think he's been quick at times um and i mean the car is not great we all know it's not great but i think him and raikkonen have been in some decent battles at times they've kind of hung about this little alpine alpha Tauri, like all these cars battling for like 10th 11th 12th 13th but they're not at the back of the grid they're not like the worst one of the worst two cars i don't think because i think it is the williams and i think it is a Haas by a country mile. Um, so, yeah, not, not a lot to say on them, um, but I think they've been all right. Um, Daniel, your boy Mazepin, the hero, 
apparently was voted drive of the day, but they didn't publish it because it was a meme. <laughs> um, I would just like to go on the record and say that Mazepin is not my boy, as Jasmine said. <laughs> I want nothing to do with him. I think he he showed who he was as a person over the winter break. And then he asked people to judge him on his driving. And I think he probably regrets asking people to do that as well. <laughs> um, it's been a while since a rookie driver had an opening three races as bad as he has had. He's been getting in the way and upsetting drivers in practice and in qualifying. He's looked erratic in the race. Um, very few positive things to say. And even with Haas, Haas as a whole, it sounds as if Gene has had enough. He's seems to be on his way out. If the rumours are to believe he's selling up to Mazepin's father or some sort of consortium <laughs> also featuring rich energy. Oh my god, <laughs> oh, no. the most It's gonna be a story. <laughs> that um, is brutal. The only the only the only bright light from the season so far has been watching the relationship between Mick Schumacher and his engineer. Yeah, so Lots calm. Of thing. It's it, it it reminds me of uh, Rob Smedley and Massa back in the day, <laughs> that kind of like, you know, fatherly, comforting words of wisdom when Schumacher broke his front wing in Imola and the guy was going, it's fine, it's fine, we have multiple <laughs> positions, it's a safety car, we're fine. Just quickly, Daniel, before I mean, we need to move on, do you think there's, look, I think Matt's been a prick and he's crap, but <laughs> do you think there's a bit of a media agenda as well where in in Bahrain Mazepin horrible spin everyone's on his back Mick Schumacher did exactly the same thing and oh it's fine it's just a rookie oh it's fine you can't have it both ways <laughs> like come on it they're both bad mistakes they're both equally as bad at that mistake and that makes sense do you think there's there's a bit of truth to that there is yeah. um but at the same time that's what happens when you behave the way he does. You don't get any sympathy from the public. Yeah, true. Um, it's all about getting the media on your side if you want good reviews, if you want people to excuse your behaviour. Um, yeah. So. Yeah, fair enough. Well, we're going to move on, right? A quick overview, and I think it should be a decent season for once. It's been dreadful for the past few years, so I would love a decent season. Even if Hamilton <laughs> wins, I would love it if it's just like a close season. Um, I'm just tired of, like, it's, it's been so dull. Anyway, uh, debate section, and this is a really interesting one. So we, like, last podcast was a rankings one. This one's a debate one. And it's just a question that I've always thought about. I'm sure everyone has. Like, how would you, if you were in charge, make F1 great again? <laughs> um, how would you make it better? So what would you add? What would you take away? Um, and what impact do you think that would have? And how would it improve the sport? So... Um, we love chucking rookies into the deep end. So, Devin, you can have first go. What is what? Make your case for whatever you think you want to take away or add, and then we'll talk about it for a couple of minutes, and then we'll move on. Okay. So, I was thinking about this, and I know it's probably not the easiest thing to do logically or whatever. Um, but I don't think that other teams should be able to hear other teams' radios. And when I use the thing that kind of sparked it for me was the um, in Imola when they were looking to move on to the slicks. Teams saying, oh, we don't want to be the first ones. We don't want to, you know, make that jump. Um, they were then relying on other people's feedback 
for that. And I think that if they didn't have access to those radios, it might force them to make some kind of bolder strategy choices and they're not relying so much on feedback from other drivers and other things like that. I don't know. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I quite like that one, to be honest. I, I, I don't understand why teams are allowed to hear it. Like, I, I never understood that. Um, and I think it, sh- it should be a, a driver-engineer chat, and it should be confidential. Maybe play it, like, two, three minutes delayed or whatever. I completely agree with that. Um, but I don't understand why everyone can hear it, because there's so much stuff that... That's when you get the Lewis Bono, my tires are gone, when they're absolutely fine, and, like, all this kind of stuff, like, all this crap, whereas I'd much rather listen to five minutes delayed with actual issues that they're having or actual strategy calls they've tried to make. Um, anything from you guys on, on this? Jamie, Daniel. Um, sorry, I'm so unprepared for this section. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, so if you banned it, I mean, I'm just playing devil's advocate here mm. a little bit, right? I think it's, I think I, I tend to agree, right? But if you did ban it, but yet all of us is, you know, spectators could hear it then ultimately they're going to fi- you know they're going to find out right how do you police it you know do you know what i mean well if you had a delay right surely if you had a delay of five minutes then it doesn't really matter it's, it's yeah like- yeah i suppose it takes um, away from the sort of spectator side of it i guess with you know you want those immediate reactions and stuff so that was the thing i was thinking about like there was there's always going to be a way for the other teams to sort of listen in and bend the rules slightly so from that side of it i was like realistically not going to happen but theoretically i don't know yeah i mean i te- i totally agree it would be a lot better and i think it, yeah i mean it would, you know it's like football right you know being able to hear your the other team's tactics it just seems <laughs> lud- lud- absolutely ludicrous right <laughs> So um, I would love to hear what Jose Mourinho was saying to uh, to Tottenham players, but I know, right? <laughs> so um, yeah, I mean, my goodness, if it could happen, it would be fantastic. But like you say, Devin, pretty difficult. Pretty difficult to achieve, yeah. Um, Daniel, anything to add? And after that, you can go on with your one. I quite like the team radios. Um, <clears throat> I wish there was a bit more gamesmanship, to be honest. I mean, I know we have the Bono, my tires are gone thing twice a race every single race <laughs> but um yeah i would be see if i was a driver or an engineer i would be dropping false breadcrumbs yeah. all over the track definitely <laughs> i would be in pouring rain i would be on the radio saying let's go for slicks um so yeah i mean the good thing about the radio is occasionally you get some humorous messages and also singing from lando or yeah <laughs> I think it would be a shame to deprive the world of that. But, yeah, I think and you, you, you kind of saw it again in Portimao. Like, everybody was waiting for, for the undercut. Nobody wanted to be the first one to yeah. make the jump onto the, the harder tyres. So, generally, I think anything that would make teams be a bit bolder would be a good call. Yeah, fair enough. Well, um Actually, I'll go next, and then we can go to the two guys. So my one was based on tires, so they kind of lead into each other. Um, I'm, you guys know way more than me, so you can let me know if I'm just talking at Mars. But I, for once, do not understand why every race is a one-stop race. Like I just, I just don't get it. Like the the thing that I used to love about F1 was you can win on track and you can win in the strategy room, and now it's just very much you just win on track and Mercedes have the best cars so they win on track normally so like 
they've kind of taken like half aspect of the sport completely out of it um for the past four or five years like it's always been a one-stop race most races and and it's not even a case they don't have the tires like oh the, the tires are just not like where they have like five compounds and like for instance the race we just had they chose the three hardest compounds for this race like wh- why don't you just choose the the three middle ones like just go one lower it'll just mean teams would have to pay a bit more but and like it would make it more interesting like strategy comes into it way more um and it's just something i've never understood of this like thing or f1 like back in the good old days i signed about 100 now and um, you got like people pitting like two three times for tires i know there's fuel aspects as well but like it, it just added so much more like do you people that could kind of massage their tires could save 25 seconds people that were bad on their tires would have to pit twice so there's always that like balancing act um and my solution to this all before i get like, is i think it should be every race should be a one and a half stopper if that makes sense so if you're good on your tires one stop works if you're crap on your tires you have to two stop otherwise you're not making it to the end and i just don't understand why it's just all of them are one stop guaranteed right you start in the mediums you finish in the hearts game over see you later um and it's just boring like it is boring it's like well there's nothing there's no variability if that makes sense like i want to see lewis hamilton on softs at the end hunting down someone on hards who's nursing it 22 seconds up the road if that makes sense like, I, like that's exciting is it really exciting max is on hards lewis is on hards they're four seconds apart great um so that's where i'm coming from and the second part of my whole tire thing why do you start on the tires you qualified on in quality two it just helps the good teams get on the best strategy they're going to go through anyway and there's no downside to them all it all it does is it causes the cars finishing or qualifying fifth to tenth more harm and that's it nothing else that's all it does because they have to get into soft to get to top three and then they're starting on soft they're on a bad strategy um so there's a lot there's a lot there but you see where i'm coming from kind of like i i just it just doesn't it just doesn't make sense to me in any way so you guys are all f1 brains tell me why it makes sense you do it you go first (laughs) um so well i mean there's so many things going through my brain um I don't know even know where to start. So I'll, I'll quite. So the Q2 thing, I, I think it's designed to benefit drivers that you know are sort of tenth to fifteenth or whatever to give them a potential opportunity to get further up, rather than anything else. But we'll put that we'll put that to one side. Um, I think nowadays um, the, the data and all sorts, there's there's always going to be one strategy that's kind of clearly the, the quickest or you know um it seems that you know there's a sort of convergence of strategy so everyone picks the same so but you know so to counteract what you're saying a little bit jazzy how would you feel if all all teams were doing two stoppers you know that would be the same right as all teams doing one stop whereas well, they're all doing the same thing because i i think that once you add an extra pit stop it opens up more variabilities. So mm-hmm. it adds up more opportunities to undercut, for instance. It adds more opportunities to overcut. Okay. It adds more opportunities to um, people getting stuck in traffic, getting, like there's so many more variabilities added once you have more than one stop. So yeah, if you have okay. just a one stop, it's just a case of, for instance, if uh, like example, last race, it's just a case of, let's say Max is 
a tenth or like a second behind Lewis, he'll go for the undercut, overtake him on the pit stops, and that's race over, right? Essentially, I, I know I'm high, like, I'm talking Lewis can obviously overtake him, but in general, um, whereas in a two stop, that's fine, and then Mercedes can go actually we'll undercut you now or we'll go a different strategy. We'll go a lot longer because Max has gone for the overcut and we'll go for a a really short, sharp, soft tire stint at the end rather than two medium stints. If, if that makes sense, like it just adds so much more variability than just having mediums, hards, get race over. Like it's just, it just makes no sense to me. I mean, why, why don't we get rid of the pit stop thing altogether? Why not have, if you want to do no stops, but be on the hards for the entire race? Why not go for it? Because that, so I think that could be a bit more interesting. You know, have hard tires that are going to go off about eighty percent of the way through the race. <laughs> but if you can nurse them to the end, go for it. You would be slow at the start, but yeah. kind of like the tortoise and the hare situation. Yeah. Just you know, eke it out to get to the end. I um, think Perez would probably be the world champion. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, just it's just what I thought. I, I just I just don't. I'll let you go. Uh, have you seen it, Devin? But I just think that it's. I like the strategy so much. I love the strategic side of F1, and I think it's just gone after the fuel regs changed. Obviously, that was necessary. Fair enough. Um, but after that went, like there was so much like strategy things, like oh, do we overfuel the car, underfuel it, like all this kind of stuff. They made that a a fixed thing now. It's 100 kilograms for everyone, right? Fine. And now they've kind of done similar with the tires. Like I know it's not fully fixed, but it essentially is. Like you start on one, and the leaders usually start on the same one, and they'll usually pit around the same time, and they'll go on to the same one, and that'll be the end of the race. And the biggest variability comes when the safety car or something like that, right? Um, I just want to. Sp- I just think if you had tires that had a bigger gap between the ranges in time and longevity, I don't mind if the hards are last 50 laps but make them two seconds a lap slower than the soft. Like, why not? If you want to stay out there, stay out there, but you'll be very slow. Um, and it just adds so much more. So, Devin, anything on that, and then we'll move on to what Daniel and Jamie had. Yeah, it's kind of like risk-reward there, whereas, you know, if you want to take that chance and, you know, if we're saying no stops at all, if you want to put the trust in that tyre, then obviously things like, I don't know, punctures or incidents and stuff like that, it is going to shake it up a lot more. And then equally, you know, having longer, uh, more stops rather. You know, looking back in like, I don't know, 2012, for instance, where they're stopping like three, sometimes four times. Not only is that like, it's kind of mad as a spectator to watch, to try and keep track of, well, he's actually technically ahead because he's not pitted yet, but he's pitted twice. And I guess that translates over into strategy as well. That's going to make it a lot more difficult for them to find the gaps and things like that so I I get where you're coming from but I think things like tyres or they've developed these tyres so much that it's difficult to go back if that makes sense so like from here on out you get the sense that they've got the tyres or at least the compounds kind of nailed down and that a lot of the time dictates the strategy which is what what we were saying uh, yeah so just before we move on i think the the one race that i think of is is when pirelli did it because they were at they were at silverstone two weekends in a row and they moved the compounds back one right or they went forward one. i can't which i can't remember which way around they went but the one where hamilton's tire burst and bottas's tire burst and all these things happened that was a really interesting race because that was a two-stop strategy and it depended on how you used your tires and that was because pirelli basically moved 
they were on a softer three and then moved to a harder three for the weekend after. And the weekend after was boring, whereas the weekend before was really, really interesting because of that. So my point is, obviously, in an ideal world is what I said, we make the gaps bigger. But I just don't understand why they can't just shift the three back one every single race, just one notch back. So if they have the hardest three, just make it the middle three. Or if it's the middle three, make it the softer three. I think you're kind of, you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. I mean, I grew up the first few seasons I watched was when Schumacher and the Ferrari was dominating. And when you when you look at his stats, I think he had something like 68 pole positions and 91 wins, which means that, you know, 23 of his wins, at least, I think it was more in reality because there were races where he started on pole and didn't win. But a lot of the times he would win when he didn't start on pole just because he would do something different with the strategy. He very rarely seemed to win by overtaking drivers on track. It was always if Montoya qualified on pole, um, went for a three-stop, Schumacher would do a two-stop, run a bit longer and overtake him in the pits. And as a spectator, it was kind of boring to watch because you want to see these guys fighting on track you want to see wheel-to-wheel racing that's why you, you pay to see it. it's why you tune in you don't watch to see you know is this person going to stop for 2.2 seconds against somebody who stops for 1.8 seconds and they're just going to leapfrog them without any action on the track so i think one of the reasons why they did this with the tires was to in theory try and get a bit more like you were saying, have a situation where you have a guy in the end on medium tires that are dying against somebody on the softer tires that are a bit fresher and they're chasing them, reeling them in. So I think whatever you do, and sometimes I think the flack that Pirelli have got has been a little bit unfair because Pirelli came in to, you know, create racing, create tires that are going to degrade a bit faster than others. And they did that, and they still got criticised for it. So I think it's it's a situation that you're never going to please everybody with it. I think it's just, I think in this era especially, I think, I, the, what you're saying is completely right. I think in the previous eras, that would have been very good. If Pirelli making these tyres back then, I think it would have been really useful because they would have taken the strategy. They've been all about... Because you can follow, you could call, you could follow so easily, like closely, with cars, and it came down to driver skill, wheel-to-wheel battles. I mean, now F1 is you can't really follow the aero's too good, um, and the and if you can't follow and you can't beat anyone on strategy, like that leads to what we've got, where you've got a lot of tracks that are old school tracks that we discussed in our podcast um, that are not really good for modern F1 because you can't really follow and you can't overtake the conventionally if that makes sense and now the strategy aspect's gone as well so you just kind of stay in the same order that you've been for the whole race um but that's that's where it's coming from it's an interesting one will it change probably not but i would just love to see more pit stops that's i, I just think i think it just adds makes it a team sport doesn't make it just a drive sport so that's for me uh jamie you can have first go and daniel will bring us in to end the podcast to, to, to be honest, I think we could have a full podcast on tyres. Yeah, we could. We could. Maybe next time. <laughs> I can't decide what one to go for, so I've got two, right? <laughs> uh, one is on refuelling, and the second one is on cares, right? Okay. So, I mean, realistically, refuelling is never going to happen because of the safety thing, right? So, uh, 
Okay, we'll, we'll go with the cares thing. So I, I, I miss cares. I miss seeing the driver strategically, you know, seeing where they're deploying the energy throughout the track. I really miss that. Uh, when it was first brought in, I mean, some teams chose not even to, you know, not to even run it uh, because they seen the benefit of saving the weight, right? Um, but, you know, seeing, um, you know, I, I don't know, um, one car following another car going up or rouge and you're looking at the the data battery and they're both they're, yeah. yeah they're looking oh so and so's low in battery he's got a full battery he's been i really miss that excitement you know and <laughs> you know all, all the all that kind of deployment stuff is very much hidden from the spectator um, and all this stuff goes goes on behind the scenes i mean i know from playing f1 2020 i know it's not the same thing right but yeah. you know you do save up your battery for a couple of laps or whatever put in the lean mix save up your fuel go for an attack and all that so you know you know these guys are doing it, but you don't. But you don't. You, you know, to the kind of um, the the non kind of nerdy fans like us, you don't really get to see. You know, you don't see that kind of visually. Oh, the wee battery bar like you've been depleted. Oh, he's pumped his cares. You know, um. So I think that would be. I think we should bring that back to be honest. And I don't know. I mean, maybe technically it just isn't possible because of the MG UK and MG UH. I don't know. Um. So I'd quite like to see that come back. Yeah. I don't know how you guys feel about that. The thing is, I love that. I love that little graphic. And like what we get now is that stupid freaking, what's it called? Um, striking distance graphic. That's possibly oh, that's, the worst thing I've ever seen. That's um, nonsense. <laughs> that is absolute nonsense. Um, you get that. And you get the, the other one, the tire one. The tire one, like you have no way of knowing. <laughs> like you're just predicting the tire my, my, wear. My, <laughs> my, my favourite. Sorry, Daniel. Oh, two on. things, right? My my. my stupidly it says like over overtake difficulty i mean what even is that <laughs> and then and then it's got um you know when someone um is trying an undercut yeah and it'll tell i'll then come up with this graphic and it'll show yeah, you yeah, the yeah. live well, gap and then, all, about, yeah. and then all of a sudden it shows you oh so-and-so's you know overtaken based on strategy so it just ruins it so you know that unless <laughs> there's a a bad pit stop it just completely ruins it so oh just complete nonsense sorry it's, it's, it's the fact the tire one is also like always to the nearest 10 percent, and somebody always has a tire that's like 10 percent left and i'm like what does that mean i mean like <laughs> They had a hundred percent, and now they've got rid of ninety percent of the surface area of the tire. <laughs> I think what it's zero, and up. they always, it's yeah. Just... <laughs> I don't, I don't know where they're getting the information from. But... AWS, Daniel. Yeah, AWS. <laughs> you yeah. seen the adverts? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah. I, I. I. I agree with you that I think it's. I'm not a big DRS fan. I think it's too artificial and. I know why they've done it. It's it's the classic paper over the cracks kind of fix where they've gone, oh crap, the arrow's too good, we need to do something about it. Let's add DRS um, to help on the straights. I think it's too powerful into some tracks. It makes it too easy. Um, it works on some tracks where it makes it wheel-to-wheel, but I'm not a big fan of DRS. Whereas I would much rather prefer curves, whereas that's all about the driver selecting where they deploy to get in a better position to overtake and stuff. So I, I agree with you there. Um, anything to add on that, Devin? Daniel, Jamie's suggestion. I think we've covered what of yeah, what I, I was so. going to say. Daniel, anything before you move on to your one? Yeah, um, no, I agree with Jamie. Uh, I think you always hear the commentators during, you know, somebody goes for a lap, usually in qualifying, but even in the race, and they say, oh, you know, they used up all their battery in the last lap, and they're not going to be able to have another quick lap now because they've used up the battery. And we don't know that. Yeah. Um, Kerr's also had the advantage of 
I mean, you you kind of had the the advantage of the start line, and you had the straight line advantage, but you also had the weight penalty that went with it. So I think two two thousand and nine was kind of the big one where you had the big manufacturers like uh, Ferrari, McLaren, BMW. I think all had cars, and then you had the Braun and you had the Red Bull that didn't. And it was kind of like you know you had the cars that were bigger and heavier and a bit more powerful and had more oomph down the straight. And then you had the other cars that were a bit lighter and more nimble. And it created a really interesting power dynamic, I think, in the grid. Whereas, you know, with DRS, everybody has it. Um, Everybody has the same advantage from it. Whereas, yeah. um, I think think the thing with DRS for me is I think I think the driver in front is a is such a sitting duck with no real chance at times, and that's yeah. why I don't like about it. Where whereas with cars, if you deploy your bat, you deploy your boost at the right time, you can actually have half a chance of defending. Um, whereas with DRS, it's just so like manufactured, like it's just like, oh, I'm within a six six tenths of someone on a straight. Again, the most recent example, the one with Max, where if they both had like the same battery power no drs that would have been lewis would have had to like work quite hard for that and he probably would have still made the overtake mm-hmm. but he would have had to be in wheel-to-wheel action like make a daunting move whereas that move was done before the corner let's be honest like max fought him a bit but he really didn't like it was over he, like lewis was so much faster with the drs advantage and everything and max was just as he said in the commentary in the um, comms we're just sitting ducks on on the street um and that's why i don't like it was the same at imola like um lando got taken and Lewis's fight back and other people overtaking on the street. It was, it was so artificial. Like it was just DRS. Like it's too overpowered on tracks, like, especially like with big straights like Baku, for instance. Like it's so overpowered. Um, I, I just don't like it. Jesse, yeah. you you wouldn't be saying that if in 2010 when your boy Alonso finally got past Petrov, you'd be saying <laughs> yes, come on DRS. <laughs> but yeah, you know you know what I mean though. Like you know I think it's just a bit too artificial. Um, and I I just I just don't like it. I prefer the drivers deploying to get out of certain windows and stuff. Um, but no, interesting, interesting definitely. Um, Daniel, what's your one? Make bring us bring us home. So the rest of you have all gone for complicated technical <laughs> regulation changes i'm purely going for aesthetics and vibes <laughs> um i would mix up the calendar so i i feel like it's a little bit stale i mean we're in exceptional times at the moment with covid and very much a european centric calendar but by and large for the last 20 25 years you kind of know what the calendar is you start in the same places you have you know you go you begin the european season with spain and with monaco you always have hungary before the break and then you go to spa and then monza um suzuka towards the end uh, brazil abu dhabi and i think just going to the same places every year kind of ruins the the spectacle a bit because you know what tracks suit what cars and what drivers you, I, I remember, you know, when you had um, 2017, 2018 with Hamilton and Vettel, you'd be looking at the final few races and you'd be thinking, okay, four out of the last six tracks favour Mercedes, maybe one or two favour Ferrari. So my solution for this would be you have about 35 or 40 tracks that are F1 standard, which should be quite easy to do. I mean, just look down a calendar or look at any of the top racing tracks. 
and then you have a 20 race season where you visit different tracks each year so i would have maybe five or ten tracks that are designated as you know classics or something so every single year you would still go to silverstone you'd still go to monza you'd still go to monaco love it or hate it you still go to abu dhabi because it can fund the rest of the races <laughs> um but for the other ones maybe one year you go to the hungaro ring the next year maybe you go to hockenheim the next year you go to Mugello. you can also bring in other tracks from around the world like we haven't had a race in africa since 1993 so we could have Kailami, a circuit that might not be able to afford a race every single season, can come back in. There are tracks like India. And for these countries, hosting a race would be a bigger occasion because it's something that only happens once every three years. I think it would really motivate the local populations to go and visit and get involved in the sport. And one of the things that I think COVID showed us is how much it mixes things up when you have tracks that the drivers don't know as well. Um, or, you know, places like Turkey and Portimao that had recently been resurfaced and really played havoc with the opening few laps of the race last year. So I think it would be good for the fans to mix things up. It would make it more interesting for the drivers because you don't know how the cars are going to behave on certain tracks. Uh, the only downside I can think of is that logistically it would probably be quite difficult to do. Um, I know that from a commercial point of view, a lot of the tracks are tied down to multi-year deals. But there are other sporting events where they really mix up the calendar each year. I mean, you think of the, the Tour de France where they never race the same 20 sections every year. They go to different places. It tests the riders in different ways. And I think it would be good for F1 to have that as well. Just just for the variety. I mean, yeah. if you I, if you can just just comparing the calendar between 2010 and 2020, most of the races were in the same place in the calendar, you know, the 14th or the 15th race of every year is always Spa and then Monza. So, yeah, I, I like that. The thing I like about that is um, the fact that the I don't like all these new tracks coming and bidding and then they're there for five years. Like you get like the Abu Dhabi, what happened, and then Saudi Arabia now, I'm guessing it'll be there for a while. It, it won't be a cheap contract, let's be real. Um, and I like this idea because it brings back old classics for like the F1 nerds, like us. We want to, we want, like, I love the Imola. Like I've loved the fact that Imola's come back. Um, it's been great. And I'm not a big Portimao fan, but like, I, I'd love to see like, Hockenheim. If you told me Hockenheim every three years, I'd be like, "That's class. That's great. It's it's one of the most fun tracks for me. Like, I love watching races there." Um, I know you don't with a set fan, Jamie, but we'll we'll, we'll move past that. I mention this every single podcast. Um, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I like that a lot. Any anything from you on that? Diana, I think there? also comes with a sense of unknown for the teams as well like god tracks like Barcelona that drivers have been around too many times to count they've already got so much data from that one track that it's they know what the quickest strategy is they know you know the track inside and out and you just kind of gets a bit repetitive with things like that so I think going to different tracks or even like 
the different figurations of the tracks I think could be quite yeah. interesting and just keeping it keeping it different so that it's not so predictable for in, on the like data side of things like if you're just going to the same tracks every year you've got so much data that you can use that it, you're likely just going to get the same performance or the same outcome a lot of the time with just the amount of data and knowledge of, of the track. So I think from that side, it would it could kind of shake things up as well. No, definitely. Jamie, anything? I completely agree. I was going to mention a different configuration, like with the uh, the, the Bahrain short circuit last season. I, I loved that. that like, I, like At first when I saw it, I wasn't sure, to be honest, because it's not that exciting in terms of a layout. It's just, well... It's a... It's, it's a a nice oval, basically. Yeah, um, but it was, it, was, it was brilliant. Like, it yeah. was just great to just see a, a different, you know, a different layout. And I know we spoke before about changing some of the, you know, how just by changing some of the corners make a big difference to racing like Barcelona, taking that Mickey Mouse chicane away at the end, for example. Um, no, I, I agree with, uh, with Daniel. I think it would be great if it was mixed up a little bit and, you know, it would be fantastic if it, if it could happen unlikely because of commercial reasons and everything else we spoke about but um yeah it would be yeah. it would be it would be great i'm glad i chose you at the end Dan. i think you had probably the most reasonable one that could be changed out of all of us <laughs> uh, so fair play no definitely definitely good debate session and like we've been chatting for a while so i need to do you need to end this um probably now actually because no one's gonna listen to us ramble on for more than an hour <laughs> and 15 minutes um but it, honestly, it's, it's been a lot of fun and I'm so, so excited for this season. I, honestly, I'm really, really loving it. Um, I'm not going to love the next two races, I feel, because Spain and Monaco are dreadful. But we'll, we'll, we'll look forward to it after that. Um, just quickly, this weekend, Spain. Devin, who's on pole and who's winning? The last time I made a prediction was Bottas on pole for Imola and that aged poorly um so i'm gonna go with max i think oh, both of back. Them. yeah why not okay nice go daniel it. it's gonna be one of the two isn't it i'm gonna go well, well done mate <laughs> like, nice. max max on pole but lewis to win jamie um Barcelona's historically a Mercedes track, so I'm probably going to just stick to Hamilton and Mercedes Pope to for win. Yeah, win. sorry, Hamilton for the pole and the win. Um, I'm going to go. I'm going to go Rogue. I'm going to go Perez for pole, and I'm going to go. <laughs> I think I think Max to win with 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 Red Bull dodgy team orders. Wow, very specific. That's that's, that's the, yeah. It's going to be a Red Bull, like you know the you know the remember the Singapore call for uh, Bottas. I think you should do one minute forty eight, Valtteri, like that that kind of call. It'd be something like that for Sergio. Sergio, I think you should really hold on to these tires, mate. Um, so <laughs> that's the prediction. And um, well, I look forward to obviously the race. And honestly, big thank you, Devin, for turning up. I'll give you thirty seconds to plug all your socials for Section One podcast and everything. So on you go. Well, yeah, that's it. It's at Sector One on at Sector One podcast across everything. We mainly post Instagram, TikTok, um, and then our podcasts tend to come out every Tuesday um, on all major streaming platforms. So, yeah, thanks for having me on. It's been fun. 
definitely check it out. So um, like we we will do F1 stuff every month or so um, because we have other sports as well. So if you want weekly F1 content, check these guys out. It's really good stuff. Um, and Jamie and Daniel, I'm sure I'll get you guys back on <laughs> for the next time when Bottas has just walked away with the championship. I have nowhere. So the exciting Monaco and Spain debrief. I'm sure. Yeah. You can't wait for it. <laughs> um, and yeah, de- hopefully it's not the last we see of you, Devin. We'll try and get you on again. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah, of uh, thank you, everyone, for listening. And next week, Ed is back, and we're going to be doing some more final NFL episode for like five months. So I'm sure everyone will love that. But thank you, everyone, for listening. Thank you.